It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At KPMG, our people make the difference. Combining the power of people and technology, we uncover brighter insights, innovate bolder solutions, and create better data-driven outcomes. KPMG, make the difference. You're listening to the podcast the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. I'm Fergus and I'm your host. This week we're taking a little break from our season of folklore and stories from the landscape because we have a very special interview to share with you. Now I know many of you will be fans of the Country Farm TV show which is a wonderful hour of countryside insight broadcast every Sunday night on BBC One in the UK. And this week, podcast regular, our good friend Annabelle Ross managed to catch up with the new series editor, who's called Mark Beach, and they went for a walk in the Mendip Hills in Somerset. And it was just fascinating to hear Mark's ideas for the TV show and what inspires him about the countryside. And plus, you'll hear some of the secrets behind the filming of the show. And as ever, if you like our podcasts, please leave us five-star reviews with whichever podcast provider you use. It makes such a difference to us because it means that we get broadcast more widely. And you can contact me and the podcast team, editor at countryfile.com. And the very best emails we receive, messages and letters and whatever, we will read out on the show. But now, let's leave you in the hands of Annabelle and Mark. Mark, um, thank you for coming with us today. And um, this walk we're doing today is not your favourite walk, but (laughs) where are we? Could you just... Orientators. Yeah, we're in the Mendips, um, specifically Wookie. Uh, we're just going to do a four-mile loop that takes us around the uh, Eberg Gorge um, amongst some of the limestone and, and hills here. Um, it's, it's an area I really love. Uh, I first came here, and I think, when I was about eight years old. Um, my grandparents are from Bristol, and I remember them taking me on a day out to the caves, and being particularly struck by the the countryside because to me it was all it was exotic it was different because I'm from the south coast originally so to see uh, sort of these sort of hills and and a lot of the stone in the ground was something I just wasn't used to and uh, I don't really remember what the weather was like but today feels very similar to that visit (laughs) where there's you know it's warm a few clouds dotted around it's great Childhood memories tend to include sun, don't they? 
Yeah, they do for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> the, the human mind's capacity to erase the dull days is, is a good thing. So, um, those, those times with your grandparents, did you, did you start to spend more and more time out in nature? I always did, um, always even did. down the south. You know, I'm from West Sussex, and I lived right on the edge of um, sort of where residential areas ran out in a, a place called Rose Green near Bognor Regis. And so where the houses ran out, the farmers' fields began. And um, so I'd spend a lot of my time, rogue time, <laughs> out in those fields. And yeah, it was, it was great fun. It was, in fact, the first unofficial job I ever had was collecting unbroken clay pigeons for uh, a farmer called Frank. He was one of my dad's best friends. And he said, I'll give you one pence for every clay pigeon you find that isn't broken. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time scratching my shins in uh, freshly sort of in, in fields with, with very sharp stubble <laughs> collecting clay pigeons and you did all right financially yeah a couple of quid maybe <laughs> filled, filled a what box what would you spend that on oh, sweets unfortunately probably yeah. from what i remember <laughs> yeah but it was you know it got me out and about in the countryside yeah from a from a very young age i mean really my other option was to head in towards civilization um and it was just dull residential roads really and so, you know, it was really easy to choose a route out the front door. Growing, yeah, growing, growing up on the coast, even in the UK, you know, the weather's so dramatic. Um, the rain comes in sideways often. Um, and, and the clouds come and go. It can be some sunny one minute and raining the next. Like, you know, it's very different to being in land. It gave me a fascination um, for weather. And really, throughout most of my school years, what I really wanted to be when I grew up was a, uh, a weatherman. And um, when I was 16, I, I was lucky enough to do my work experience. You know, when you're at school, you do the work experience for a couple of weeks. And I did mine at the Met Office, astonishingly. I had to sign the Official Secrets Act, even. Yeah. And it was um, quite quite something to turn up go in there and meet the faces and the people and the machines working out the weather but it just it destroyed my romantic idea of being a meteorologist i i thought being a meteorologist you 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 wake up in the morning you go and check your stevenson screen tap your barometer you know check which way the wind's going and then announce to the world what the weather's going to be for the day or travel somewhere you know exotic to to check all your instruments but even back then in the 19, late 1980s or early 90s it was, this room was just full of computers and the computers were doing all the work. <laughs> Which is great if you rely on a weather forecast um, that it's now high tech and becoming more accurate, although most farmers might disagree with that. Um, but as someone who thought I, I could get into this as a career, it just it put me off instantly. You know, you're sort of you're attending to the needs of the machine mostly. Sorry, meteorologists out there, um, but that was my impression of meteorology. But my, <laughs> I never lost my interest in meteorology, uh, and I suppose sort of um, manual forecasting, if we call it that, knowing what the clouds mean, um, uh, etc. I love all that. And you know, uh, I'm going to ask you now, don't you? you what? What do you want to name, name the clouds or? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, these 
uh, are most of the ones we've seen today that we've talked about how beautiful sky is they're just bog standard cumulus clouds but now we're saying that they've all gone um uh, there's a there's a couple up there um we can see some cirrus clouds up there as well um some fractus clouds breaking off from the cumulus clouds but nothing that indicates bad weather okay no, no cumulus congestus no um so yeah. we're in for a nice evening we're in for a nice evening and can you i'm convinced <laughs> <laughs> so instead of becoming a meteorologist yeah. what did you start out as um well, I went. To, I ended up choosing to study biology, um, and specifically animal biology. Uh, yeah, which. But you didn't become a biologist either. No. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? What did you first do? I I very quickly got into television after uh, finishing studies. Oh, I knew that I wanted. To, I I thought that I found the idea of. Um, making programs about the things that I was interested in. And I found that a fascinating idea. Um, Okay. So yeah, so it, it it actually culminates in all the things that you're interested in. By it does at the moment. You know, you always look for that. It's lovely. This is what we want, really, isn't it? It's a job that uses the, the skills and the knowledge you have all come together. And um, although you know, country files such a broad amount of knowledge you need. No, no one on no one person on country file. No one person on country file knows all of the things that we cover. Um, but. Uh, me and I think all of the team members they all bring a bit of knowledge their own little specialist area uh, and I suppose mine might be meteorology and animal biology and then the rest of the team fill in all the other hundred gaps of knowledge that I don't have <laughs> Could you give us the story of how you ended up as the series editor for Countryfile? Yeah um so I think about eight years ago, I, I got a phone call from an old colleague and said, you know, can you head over to the States and um, look after this series about homesteaders? Um, I've never filmed with homesteaders before. I was living in London and an old colleague connection of mine got in touch in the industry and asked if I could go over and direct series about homesteaders in the United States and um, I thought it sounded fascinating uh, the chance to get out into the United States the, the, the wilderness the, the, the wild areas of the States um, and I did and it was great fun I went to uh, Oregon Carolina North Carolina all sorts of places to go and meet these homesteaders and they were absolutely fascinating uh, and what they did I found fascinating as well. So what is, yeah, can you explain a bit more what is a homesteader? It's really an American term homesteading isn't it? Um, it's someone who uh, produces their own food and, and possibly can, you know, or, and also produces more food than they need which they might sell locally. Um, what often goes with, with homesteading as well is this self-reliance or even sort of independence or, or removal from society comes, it frequently comes up with homesteaders, even though that's not an essential part of what homesteading is. Um, what would be the equivalent in this country? 
Um, there isn't one. There isn't one really, is there? Uh, living off grid. Yeah, living off grid, that's a big part of it. I mean, really, it was the first time in, in my career where I was thrust out in effectively the middle of nowhere filming people who wanted to be in the middle of nowhere. Um, and it was great fun. From that, I ended up working on a different homesteading series for a different channel and then sort of quickly became pigeonholed, it seems. When I started working in the UK again, I ended up making a, an observational documentary series about farming uh, and looked after two series of that, which I really enjoyed because that show, there were no rules. It was you simply, our job was to go and document the daily life and the work of farms, farmers, three farmers, over a long period of time, half a year. Um, and that was absolutely fantastic to work on. These farmers are incredible. The way they added to their already heavy workload and, and, and gave up their time to talk to our uh, filming crews was great. Uh, I learned so much about farming. Uh, I'm still not an expert by a long way, <laughs> nowhere near, but what it did was it, it gave me a fascination of farming and, and rural life. Um, and then as these things happened, I, by then I'd been firmly pigeonholed and I think that's when uh, Countryfile uh, appeared on the horizon. Um, yeah, and I ended up on Countryfile and I've, I've been there now so I was the series producer uh, before becoming the series editor on Countryfile. I've been there, what, uh, just over two years now. Oh, okay. So yeah. you just said that um, one of the films you made, it was great because there were no rules. Yeah. I imagine Countryfile comes with a lot of rules. It does. Yeah, Countryfile, I mean, rules may be wrong is that the wrong word i don't know it makes this sound like we're too rigid but we're not but yeah the sentiment's true so with country file you do have to go in with a plan and you know what you're looking for when you turn up to film i mean you do have license to change your plans if something happens on the spot and that happens now and then um but really we know what we're going to film before we go and film something um, a lot of thought, a lot of planning goes into it, both editorial, logistics, everything. Yeah. So, um, Countryfile is a hugely successful mm. TV programme. What, what is your opinion on what makes it such a success? Um, it's uniqueness. It's strange almost. I find it strange that it's so unique on the scheduling. Uh, on TV schedules. Why is it? Yeah, why is it unique? Well, if you if you were to say to somebody, um, "What's the name of that television show that talks about the countryside or talks about farming?" They're going to say Countryfile straight away. Mm -hmm. And I think over the last few years, there has been a bit of a trend uh, to turn the camera on farms, and it's still going on, really. Um, but we go, you know, we go beyond that. We don't. We do cover farming, but we cover all of rural life. And I think that's where we stand out. I think the variety of the, the episodes and also any one given episode keeps people interested. Um, yeah, it's a good format. Yeah. We, we, I mean, in a sense, we've got, we do have a lot of 
flex freedom to um, with our content. We could have an episode, or we have had an episode recently about electric bicycles in the countryside. And then we recently had an episode um, about Ronald Blythe in Suffolk. Um, so it's, it's such a broad variety of um, topics that we can cover. Uh, yeah. Um. So you're reading the map, sorry, oh, yeah. Mark. So rustling. We're at a, we're at a junction. We're at a Y junction. Yeah, let's have a look. So <laughs> at the end of the path, okay, we did. Uh, at the end of the path, turn left onto a lane with a tarmac surface and head uphill. I think we've done that bit. Where the lane divides, <laughs> take the left-hand fork, and then almost immediately turn right to walk past the lime kilns, then bear left onto the lane. Well, this. This is the first fork we've met. Or this is where everything goes wrong and we get lost in the woods. I, I, don't I know. suppose it doesn't have to be part of your um, job spec to be a good map reader, just to be the series editor of Country Files. But <laughs> hopefully you're doing... A... I was a good map reader until mobile phones came along. Yeah. And, yeah, I lost that skill. Yeah. So, Country File, um, who is your... Who's your main audience? <laughs> our main audience yeah um i mean i could break it down into age um oh, what we're we doing here we're going i think right yeah said. we are aren't we you're going right past the lime kilns and, and left here left look. onto the lane yeah okay. great uh these are the lime kilns on the left oh yeah our main audience. Um, Do they live in the mostly? Presumably, mostly they live in the country. Country no, people they, want to learn about the country or they, not? No, they don't. It's um, it's a fifty-fifty split, really. Huh. Uh, we get we've got a lot of people viewing um, in built-up areas, urban, suburban areas. But yeah, we we have a, a good, um, uh, what's the word, loyal set of viewers who, who live in the countryside, and um, it's sort of. Uh, you're trying to trying to um, make a program for both of them is is you know it's something we're always working on and we're conscious of because you've got one set of viewers who possibly love Countryfile for the escapism um, and uh, want to see the beautiful countryside. And then there's there's another set of viewers who know a fair bit about the countryside because they live there. Uh, and they want greater depth um, or they might want to see the countryside warts and all because they want issues talked about happening in the countryside so we do yeah we I, I hope I think we successfully manage that <laughs> what um, now that you're the series editor are you wanting to and are you allowed to do you know make some changes is there anything you think oh I really want to do this or yeah, we uh, yeah, I'm and I'm going about that already. It's it's kind of it's it's difficult when you when you uh, take over a show that's already being run well, um, because you feel I felt what I I can say it and yeah how I felt I felt like yes of course I I don't want to look like I'm doing nothing. I do want to <laughs> I want I want it to be seen that I'm making a a difference to the show and I'm you know but at the same time when there wasn't it didn't need lots changing uh, certainly not a lot in a hurry one, one thing that I have introduced 
um, these uh, you may have seen it young farmers sections they're not they don't take up a big part of the show maybe they're three and a half minutes long we've got four young farmers from uh, spread across the UK and, and they film themselves send us their material we do rough editing to it we don't over polish it um, because we want the viewers to see them for you know, un, uh, sort of a unproduced view of these farmers and their activities and what they, what they send in is footage of them doing a key a task that, or you know it could just be the most mundane job to them but in a way to us and i hope to our viewers it's a, it's, it's privileged privileged access uh, yeah it's really lovely i have seen i saw one of the irish yeah she's really amazing and i thought yeah. you're a really busy woman and you're filming yourself doing it and she's a really natural presenter yeah they're amazing that's, that's emily she um and I, she won't mind me saying this the first footage she sent through i think she was didn't know whether she was supposed to present or be herself <laughs> and um but when we said just be yourself, uh, of course, it's, it's fantastic. We get to really see her on, on her you know, day-to-day -day work. So, uh, it could be 5 a.m. delivering things to, or picking things up from a market, or in, you know, during harvest time, um, organizing the people driving tractors. She's very young, but she, she farms, but she also manages that farm already. It's, it's really impressive. Um, it is a really good I like that it's a really good idea that young farmers but talking of being yourself yeah um, what what do you what do you do when you're not yeah running country farm <laughs> <laughs> well if it's the weekend I do I will get out and about in the countryside uh, with my daughters um, we've they do love getting out in the countryside luckily there's a lot of it um, around here that's easily accessible if on a standard weeknight you'll find me on a squash court um <laughs> most nights <laughs> it's, okay. yeah I, I, I play four times a week sometimes more um, um play for my local team i love it i'm not i'm not i'm pretty average but um I, that, that's what you find me doing that's what i enjoy okay. um and i love playing music yeah I, I mean that was really the main thing that i love doing um, what kind of music? So, um, do you want to check that we're going in the right right yeah, direction? That's a really good idea. I've got a feeling it's going to be up there, isn't that's, it? That's Monarch's Way up there. Let's see. So, Bellefond. Okay. Ah, at the end of the path, turn left onto a lane with a tarmac surface. Could be that one. And head uphill, where the lane divides take the left-hand fork. Oh, we've done that bit. Yeah. Go through a gap next to a metal gate. Ah, here we are, yeah. And immediately turn left between large boulders onto a grassy track. At the end of the track, go through a wooden kissing gate and follow the footpath signed diagonally across the field, aiming for the left-hand side of the farm buildings. Continue ahead past the farm to go through a metal gate. You're oh, great, we're in. Um, you were talking, you were going to tell me what your favorite music was i think or, oh, what, what music you like yeah um well on the way here i was listening to johnny flynn sort oh, yeah. of admittedly to try to get me in the mood for a, a walk and talk about the countryside <laughs> um my, my 
I love, I mean, I do, I love all sorts of music, and I know some, a lot of people say that, but I really do. Um, in terms of what I play, I play bass guitar, and it's, it's a lovely instrument to play, but the, the one downside is when you get to a certain age and you're busy with work and you don't have time to be in a band, it's not the most exciting instrument to play by yourself. Um, <laughs> I, do, I, do still, I do still play bass quite a lot, I've got one in, in, in grabbable distance uh, in the lounge, and I put it there for a reason, because it means I do pick it up and noodle on it, <laughs> which I really enjoy. And I've, I think I sort of use that and do that. I use that in the way that some people might do yoga. Um, it means I can sort of zone out, just um, toot the way on the bass and, and, and not think of anything. I, I really enjoy it still. Um, just I always keep the phone by my side in case the famous rock band phone up. And say, um, can and you say, hey, you ready? Yeah, you ready? I'm like, yeah. And I can say, yes, I've kept the rust at bay. I, I, where, should I, where should I head? But um, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> Country probably would be left for dust. <laughs> it depends on the band. <laughs> <laughs> who would be the uh, who would be your the, the band that you want that phone call from well sadly they're no longer a band really um nirvana okay yeah Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> um back to Farm mark and the countryside generally um we just walked through a gate and it said keep your dog on the lead at mm. all times what's your take on dogs in the countryside do you do you have a dog no, I don't. Uh, I, I spend a lot of time around dogs because of what we film, the places we go. Um, I think really it, it, dogs in the countryside and, and how they're looked after really should be the decision of the, bit of the owner of the land that you're on or the bit of land you're on. You know, it's, the countryside isn't all farmland, but I think when you are on farmlands, maybe heed, heed the advice of the farmer, I'd say. Um, yeah, uh, but then I don't think I don't think the rules have changed, and it, it's really a, a matter of if you've got a dog, whether you got it in COVID or you had one before. You know, read the signs. Um, yeah. It's it, yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's my line on that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, it's just because I saw the sign and I was quite interested. And um, the let's just go through. But talking about. Uh, what there is to celebrate there's a lot we're um do you imagine five years ago if, if you if you said the word regenerative farming to someone yes they would have said what on earth are you talking about yeah they wouldn't have a clue and now it's a it's a term and a practice that people are well yeah actually good point <laughs> that people are well did you uh do i give you the map uh no oh, i got it here we go they are perfect clouds. They are. Absolutely lovely. Lovely shadows. Ah, perhaps, perhaps we've gone the wrong way. We... Let's head up here and read the map. So, on neutral ground. <laughs> <laughs> So you're not in favour of trespassing. Some people 
encourage it. You can't, you can't, you can't comment on that. Um. <laughs> Actually, we weren't looking, were we? There is a sign for footpath. Ah, right, yeah, good. Um, I do think too much of land in England specifically is inaccessible. Um, and it's a shame. Yeah, yeah. That, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to say that. What um, you were talking about... So, can I, uh, yeah. And I can finish that off though, but, but sometimes, you know, sometimes there are people who are irresponsible and it, it doesn't help the argument to open the countryside up when people leave litter, damage the countryside um, and abuse it. So it's, 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 it makes it, it, makes it, a, 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 it, makes it a tough argument um, to open the countryside up. It's hard, it's hard. And, yeah. and yeah, I mean, it's, but yeah, ultimately and absolutely, I'd love to see the countryside opened up yeah. more. Yeah. Um, but how we do that, how we do that it is difficult because I do understand how frustrating for someone who's, a, who's looking after that land, how frustrating it must be if it's abused. Um, you were going to, you were about to tell us something that's really positive and exciting about the British Yeah, country, so, so. I, I, was, I was just thinking, you, if we, regenerative farming. Oh, yes. Is a, as we know, it's a huge movement now. But if you, if you told someone, if you mentioned that term five years ago to someone, they're not likely to know what, they wouldn't have known what it meant. Well, and I see that as a good thing. Um, you know, that, yeah, sorry. Sorry, no, only because you say that, but actually now I'm thinking there are lots of different um, titles for farming now that mm. are coming up new to sort of. I don't know, rewilding and permaculture yeah. and bio thing <laughs> and um, regenerative. And yeah. regenerative, what does that actually mean? Well, I think, that what, what does that mean? Well, it, what they all mean is that farmers, um, well, everybody in, in, in the countryside, but specifically farmers, are becoming very conscious of how they operate and the impact of their actions. That's what holds all of those... Uh, all of those different titles. Ti titles yeah. together, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where does organic sit in all of that? <laughs> well, organic, is, it's, a, it's, a, it's certified, isn't it? And I think, it, I think that I know there are a lot of farmers that are put off from it because of this, the strict certification. And I think... Regen farming allows a farmer to um, make the concessions they want whilst making their farming uh, less harmful to the land. Yeah. Without all the strict paperwork that oh, says really? you must do this, this, and this, and oh, now I you're and now you're certified. And I think that's a good thing because there might be a lot of farmers who, in the past, wouldn't have wanted to go organic or chose not to, but they. But they might think, well, actually, no, but I can go down this movement, the regen movement, because it gives me more flexibility. And I think that's, I hope that's a good thing. I think it probably is, because there'd be many more farmers 
taking up that route than took up the more the strict organic route. Interesting to see where organic's going to go now. Very interesting. Uh, so, the, yeah, I'm sure there's many positive things, and we'll come back yeah. to that, Mark, but I wanted to ask you a bit more about you again, which is... Um, we were meant to meet up earlier, and there was all sorts of complications, but mm. um, you... I think you said you had a favourite walk in Britain. Where, where yeah, was it? Yeah, I do. It's my favourite walks along the north coast of Cornwall, specifically the stretch um, that goes past Zenor. It's. Um, I think the reason is it just doesn't feel like the UK, and I suppose that's a terrible thing for for me to say working on Countryfile. But um, it's. <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time I went there, and I was actually I I never went to Cornwall as a child. The first time I went to Cornwall, I was in my early 20s. And I just went on a sort of four-day break. And um, I was really struck with how you feel like you're suddenly not in the UK. It's, it feels completely exotic. And especially that stretch uh, along the coast near Zenor. It's, um, it's filmic. You know, with the, with the, the rocks, the rocks change colour depending on what the sun's doing and the direction or the clouds are doing, they can be purple one minute or dull grey the next. And you've always got that um, non-stop animation of the, of, the, of the waves smashing against them. So you can glance down from the path that you're on at any given moment and it always looks different. Um, and if the wind's blowing from the west, you really feel like you're getting the freshest air you could possibly breathe. <laughs> do, you, do you swim? Yeah, I love swimming. Um, it's the... When it comes to that sort of staying fit, etc., I'm one of those people that has to be chasing a ball um, to be interested. I can't stand the gym. I can't stand running. Um, but with the exception of swimming, I really enjoy swimming. Um, especially out in the sea or a um, river or lake Do you have pond. a favourite well, bit of water? I've got a couple that I've, I've met one and one recently. You might want to keep them to oh, yourself. One. No, no. I don't. <laughs> one I experienced really for the first time uh, a couple of years ago. I went on a, a short holiday um, with my children my partner and we we had a boat and we we chugged along the upper reaches of the Thames it was really nice the boat was tiny we we were crammed on there um but it was during a particularly hot spell really hot spell and it meant you could just jump off the boat and have a swim in the river Thames which sounds disgusting but when you're up in Oxfordshire it's absolutely lovely it's wow. beautiful I saw kingfishers um, and it's yeah it's quite it's quite the setting to see a kingfisher when you're having a swim in the river it was lovely the water temperature was fantastic and there's something about swimming in fresh water and I think what it is it's that smell the smell of the river or the smell of a um, a pond or it's something in common I don't know what it is I'm sure a scientist could tell me what I'm smelling um, it, I absolutely love it it's an organic smell of some sort yeah. um, and, and it's great and also when you you're swimming your eyes are so close to the water level when you look from above you might 
you know, I look at the, I looked at the water, or I might look at the pond and think, oh, there's the odd boatman there or something, and a, you know, dragonfly goes by. When you get your eyes down to within a centimeter above the water level, you suddenly see oh, there's absolutely tons of stuff on this water. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think my kids' reaction sometimes was, oh, you know, this water's covered in bugs. They get used to it. That's just, it is. Then you start to feel, oh, I'm swimming with these creatures. <laughs> this is great. It's, it's wonderful. Um, yeah, I love all that. It's, it's great. It's such a good feeling. Get your head underwater. Oh, there's a lovely orchard there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Very, uh, gosh, very tempting. It is. Go and pick an apple. Yeah, that's really mature as well. Yeah, really mature. It's lovely. Um, Somerset cider, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Mark, the, oh, do you want to check where we are? Yeah, let's do it. Sorry, it's punctuated with map reading, folks. <laughs> um, one thing I do know about this podcast episode is if you uh, if you try to walk the walk we've just done by listening to it, you will get lost. <laughs> so turn left along the lane past... Ah, right, here we go. Down to Metal Kissing Gate by a stream. That must be this. In the far corner of a field. They should have mentioned the orchard. That would have been a giveaway. Go through the gate and bear left uphill a short way and then downhill to go through another wooden kissing gate. Okay. I think with swimming as well, um, people call it wild swimming. I, I, I'm going to sound curmudgeonly here. It's just, it's swimming. <laughs> you know, to me, if you swim in a, a river, glamorize something, but I don't know, it's, but I love it. I mean, I don't want makes me sound negative about it um i think it's great but i think possibly what it is sometimes is that feeling of being naughty you know you shouldn't swim in this river it's it, it's because it, it's not a swimming pool if you're brought up um and you learn to swim in a swimming pool and then at some point in your life you, you jump off a little rowing boat for a swim or any kind of boat it feels great and it yeah it's very special isn't it it is so um yeah, we, we know that our rivers are in trouble. Mm. In fact, our ocean, in fact, our land. So, um, but who, in Britain, who are the custodians of mm. our land and water? The majority uh, uh, of custodians of the land will be farmers. We know that. Um, but who can make a difference? Who's responsible? We all are really, because if we shout loud enough, and and then <laughs> we can make a change. Um, policymakers are responsible as well. Does that worry you? <laughs> I've got to be careful here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, no, well, don't I worry. Does, can... I think it does generally, because it doesn't matter which party's in charge. Historically, the preservation of the of our countryside. It's not often a vote winner, sadly. Um, you know, an election winner. And I think, I think that's changing, though. I think people now must are becoming be much more aware. Um, just general conversations that you hear about. You know, there's a high frequency of people talking about the state of our countryside, our wildlife. And that will, in time, and I think is, 
which I hope will turn into to a to votes into a, a you know an, an election winning topic. We realise that it affects us all. Yeah, we do. Or we're starting to. Yeah, we do, and and possibly it all began when um, we all became aware of how our global climate is changing. But now there seems to be an increasing awareness of the state of, uh, you know, the UK's countryside. Um, and that's a good thing, I think. I really do. You know, and, and, uh, and our strong viewership on Countryfile might suggest that people do care about the countryside. Yeah, and you're, you're helping them understand it. I hope so. We're trying to. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, but that, yeah, we... Uh, I, I don't... And I don't think we set out any any particular piece to go right. Listen here, folks. This is happening. You know, is, I don't, we still just want to open a window onto the countryside for viewers to enjoy. Um, we do talk about um, the health of the countryside sometimes when it feels relevant. Um, yeah, but really, the, yeah, I, I, I think generally, Countryfile as a as a show always has and, and I hope continues to keep the public engaged in the country whether they live there or not um, yeah do, and as individuals mm. what can we do as individuals um, whether yeah. we live in the city or in a village or I'm not really talking about farmers because they're doing the best they can yeah. but yeah, as individuals on a day to day basis oh there's a beautiful butterfly it's just landed up there do you know your butterflies yeah. too that I oh. think. Oh, I can't remember. Is it a gatekeeper? Is it? Oh, we're behind oh. the gate. But <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, they're hanging out by the gate. Yeah. Um, sorry. So, um, yeah. Uh, any, uh, well, any I tips? think people can do. To, we, we can. We and do, people do do the, uh, this. Uh, tiny things and massive things. Tiny things uh, such as can this car drive be a walk? And then massive things such as, who am I voting for? Or what am I voting for? Um, yeah, it's, you see, it, really, it really depends on the scale you're talking about. So um, everyone's got, and this is the great thing, everyone's got power to make a change. And it could be, it could be, it could be how you open the, what's the word? Um... It might be how you open up the countryside to your kids as you bring them up. Is it, is it somewhere that you, it, it, it gets in the way between place A and B or is it somewhere you slow down in and, and enjoy? And that can really change the outlook of someone uh, and, their, and their relationship with the countryside from a young age, I think. What's something you've personally done recently to um, protect our countryside? Um... It's hard to have a direct influence on the countryside um, if you don't have land in the countryside. I think you can go and help, um, volunteer, etc. Uh, I mean, not countryside, but general environment. I'm the one thing I do is always ask myself: Is this a car journey or is this a walk? That's. I mean, that's the main thing I do. Uh, there are many things, but I think, um, yeah, that, that's that's the question I ask myself often. Um, and I keep doing that. Maybe, yeah, that's it, really. <laughs> it's this, you know, is this a car journey? And it's amazing half the time it's not, really, even when it's raining. Um, this is the worst blackberry picking spot ever. I'm getting stung by nettles. 
incessantly and the blackberries look really pathetic. They, <laughs> they're, not, they're not the best. I'm going to try that one though. I mean, is there a word for when blackberries have desiccated, like raisins? Is there a blackberry raisin? So, Mark, you're the biologist, aren't you? <laughs> Just um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if I, I can necessarily answer that. Um, yeah, well, many, many years ago, decades ago, I studied biology. Um, I've, I, yeah, and, but it's not helping me with the identification of the bee on the leaf that you noticed. And this butterfly right in front of me either. That is a um, comma. Or is that comma? Because look at the wings. Yeah. The wings are commas. Yeah. The, 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 the I see what you mean. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That is a beautiful, um, beautiful butterfly. I am so pleased with myself for getting that. That is really impressive. Yeah. High-flying, high-altitude birds that I can talk about. Um, at, but we can't see any right now. No, you mean buzzards. Oh no, even higher geese and swans. Okay, that's your <laughs> yeah, the, that's the, your thing. The respiratory aerodynamic of the swan and the geese. <laughs> really good to know. Um, <laughs> Do you no. know the you know the, the, the bump on top of a uh, a swan's nose or a geese? It's not what that's for. Have you seen you ever seen that bump? You know, it enables the the birds to be lighter, to have less mass. Um, because having that bump means it can get away with having a much smaller diaphragm, less diaphragm muscles. So when it closes, when it's flying fast, high altitude, it closes its beak, and that bump creates an area of low pressure behind the bump, which sucks the air out of its lungs, which means it doesn't need a strong diaphragm to push out the air. So the bird can be lighter because of that little bump. And yet you ended up in television. <laughs> yes, I did, yeah. Let's find some nice blackberries. Okay. Well, I found that fascinating and just a lovely, warm interview there. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how the Countryfile TV show evolves over the coming months and years under Mark's leadership. I've met him. He's a great guy. And I, I really look forward to kind of finding out more what, what he's going to do. But anyway, huge thanks to Mark and to Annabelle. And that's it for now. But join me and the whole team again next week when we're back telling stories from the landscape when we're fossil hunting in Dorset. So thank you so much for listening and goodbye.